And now, an Envision Financial podcast with Luke Smith on Canberra's 2CC. Time to talk money, and everybody loves to talk about money, but who better to give us all the details of how to make a dollar or two from Envision Financial? It's Luke Smith. Good afternoon. How are we, Leon? We're good. We are very, very good indeed. And today, I believe, we're talking about what to consider when thinking about an investment property. Well, obviously, you need to go further than just think about it. You're going to have to take some action at some point, aren't you? So where do we begin? Well, look, I think it's very topical at the moment because we've seen very cheap money um, from the banks and property prices in the ACT and around the country are trading at absolutely galactic levels. Um, it's about the only way to explain it at the moment. So it's very topical. A lot of people are throwing up the question, money's cheap, should I borrow, do I need a deduction? So today we're going to cover off some things that people can think about in relation to the broader decision of buying a property. Not just is it this number of this street, but the broader considerations that they should keep in mind both now and in the future so that they can get the most out of their investment going forward. Yeah, of course, while the uh, borrowing cost is extraordinarily cheap at the present time, I suppose one of the other impacts of uh, COVID-19 restrictions means people have not been spending money on things like holidays overseas and they might think, hmm, I've got a little bit extra to invest. Maybe I should do something about that. So there's all sorts of different things to take into account, aren't there? That's exactly right. And I think, you know, the, the, the fact that money is cheap at the moment is, is really driving people's decision-making around where can I earn a greater potential rate of return than having money in the bank. And when people look at the borrowing cost at 25 to 3%, depending on the structure of your loan, it's, it's a way of considering wealth accumulation outside of superannuation and potentially inside of superannuation, depending on the funds you're with. But people really need to start and think about why am I buying it? Are you buying it to flip it? Are you buying it to renovate it? Are you buying it just to take a punt on the crazy prices that may or may not continue in the future? Or is it a long-term hold? Is it an estate planning asset? Is it an income play? Are you planning on paying it off? And they're the sorts of things people need to start with because how they answer those questions will then have a direct impact on potentially the value of the asset that they buy, the type of asset that they buy, and the structure that they use to hold that asset. Because buying something in your own name may or may not be appropriate, depending on your broader situation and your, your broader objectives. So people should think about not just the type of asset, but also are they going to buy it in their own name? Are they going to buy it in their partner's name? Are they going to buy it in joint names? Too often we see people buy a property and they come in and sit down and say, oh, it's 99% in my name and 1% in my partner's name because when we bought it, I needed a tax deduction. And then they jump forward 10 or 15 years and they don't have the same tax problems they had when they bought it. However, they have bought themselves 99% of the tax liability by not thinking about using something like a family trust uh, or other diversification vehicle that may allow them to pass capital gains out to uh, adult children, to low-income paying uh, or low-income earning spouses um, and, and things of that nature. So don't just think about what you buy. Think about who's going to own it but also think with the end in mind. What do we do if we sell this, if it's a long-term play? And how can we prepare now to help mitigate unnecessary capital gains tax 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now? So it, it, it's a bit of a, a, a guessing game, but 
a measured one at that. Well, yes, and hopefully you'd have some sort of idea what your long-term plans are, even though there's always the chance those those plans may change over time. Now, you mentioned owning the property in your own name or in joint names or even perhaps in a family trust, but of course, one of the other options available to people now is to use their super fund to buy an investment property, isn't it? Look, that's exactly right. Um, and there's two sides to this discussion. You see a lot of self-employed people use their self-managed super fund to purchase their business premise because it's a great way to have security over the rent that you're paying to yourself, but also to build wealth through capital appreciation within super because you own the factory that your business runs out of, for example. So that's one option. The other option is to purchase a residential property, which could be a unit or a house that you are not going to live in, that you will never use yourself and you can benefit from capital appreciation by holding that asset through the self-managed super fund as well. Some things to keep in mind with that obviously is that there are some additional acquisition costs uh, because if you don't have a self-managed super fund you need to set one up and you need to run one. You need to ensure you have sufficient liquidity inside the fund and you need to make sure that you understand that the interest rate linked to self-managed super fund is not the same rate as what you could get in your own name. So if you are thinking about doing that, find out what the current interest rate is for self-managed super funds because you may be quite surprised because it's a couple of percent up on the uh, the general interest rate at the moment. So it is an opportunity, but there are also pitfalls and considerations for people to keep in mind there also. Okay, so lots to consider there. But once you've gotten to the point where you've decided what the structure will be, whether it's in your own name or in a trust or in the super fund, then you've got all of the usual things to think about. What is the property you're going to buy? Is it a house? Is it a unit? Is it a commercial property? Where is it going to be? And they say in real estate, the three most important things are location, location, and you guessed it, location, don't they? Yeah, look, that's exactly right. And I guess that comes back to the comment we made earlier about understanding why you're buying it. If you're buying it in a coastal location and you want to use it, then you may not receive the rental income that you're forecasting. And as long as you go into these decisions with that in mind, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. If you're looking to buy uh, a unit for the kids that's near a university because you know, you're know you going to subsidise the rent down the track, then that's another option for you as well. So it's always important to think about do I want a townhouse? Do I want a freestanding home? Do I want a unit? And then look at the associated costs because that's one that can catch people out. Um, sometimes the body corporate um, land tax rates and all of these other costs can really bite into the bottom line when you look at the net yield or the total income return from the investment that you purchase. So that's something that people should keep in mind and really do their homework on and don't get caught up in the lure of, oh, this place is on the beach on the Gold Coast, only to find out that the body corporate is $450 a week, which... Is, which can be the case, yes, I know. <laughs> correct. Yeah. Exactly. So, again, it's just something to keep in mind and, and don't get caught up in the gross numbers. I think that's the most important thing for listeners today is don't get caught up in the gross numbers of, I paid 500000 for it, I get 500 a week rent and work on your yield without taking into account agent fees, rates, yep. land tax, insurances, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because when you strip that down, especially for a residential property, the actual return or the yield is, is, is very, very limited. So you, you need to know that going into it or you could be 
bitterly disappointed. Yeah. Now, obviously, the uh, amount of rent that you expect to receive from this property is going to be a key consideration, but that could also be dependent on exactly what the property is used for. And one thing I've noticed has increased incredibly in recent years. A lot of people are buying investment properties and listing them on Airbnb or other similar websites, hoping to maximise their return. And it does make a difference, doesn't it, as to what exactly is the purpose to which you're putting that property? Look, exactly right. And that's, you know, at the start of the show, we sort of said, start with why. Why are you doing it? And if that's the case, then you may need to accept that you're going to be far more engaged with this property through something like an Airbnb. And I've got clients that do this very, very effectively and achieve amazing rates of return in an ACT or in a Canberra suburb that you, you wouldn't think would be rented out as much as it is, but they're, you know, they're fully booked most of the year, right down to, I'd like to buy a property, leave it alone, I'll stick the same tenant in there for the next 25 years, and that's what I want to do. So understand what you want to do and your involvement in it because you can become disenfranchised with the level of engagement required to keep something like an Airbnb property going. And the other thing that people also should consider is check the building rules if you're buying into a development. Some properties will allow you to use Airbnb as, a, as an income-producing tool. Other buildings may have you know, a hard and fast rule of no short-term tenancy. So again, do your homework and tie in why you're doing it with the rules of the property that you're looking at. So again, you're not upset or, or, or you know, disadvantaged because you wanted to Airbnb the place on the Gold Coast but the body corporate doesn't allow that. So again, just do your research and know what you're walking into. Yeah. Another one where people uh, try to maximise their rental return is uh, when they specifically look for students as tenants. They'll uh, they'll put four or five students into a property and charge them all a pretty hefty rent. Uh, it is a method that has worked well for some people, uh, but I guess there might be pitfalls there as well. Look, I think with, with any type of investment, whether it's a share, a house, a building or, or of anything that has an element of change to it, that's exactly right. You could have 13 lads living in a unit, you know, near a university, and that will come with 13 potential issues, 13 holes in the walls, um, 13 dirty lads that don't know how to use a Hoover, <laughs> which could actually have a, a detrimental impact on... You're dangerously close to cliched stereotypes there. We're going to offend somebody. Luke, we don't want to do that. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. We can stick 13 girls in, in the property next door and do the same thing. So, you know, we'll keep it nice in general so nobody's emotional. Um, but that's exactly right. Nothing's without risk. And you need to keep in mind that whilst you may have additional yield, um, the repair costs, the, the ongoing costs and the, the, the value of the asset may come under pressure. But again, that's something that you need to take into account. And as long as you're fully aware of that going into it, then that's, then that's completely fine. Now, of course, generally speaking, people buying investment properties are using finance to do so. They're mortgaging the property, and the, in many cases, they might even be negatively gearing. Others might be positively gearing. But the question that arises is, how fast should you pay off that debt? Well, I think that's a great question, and it leads back to the first question we had today was, why are you buying it? If you're buying it as a planner, if you're buying it as an asset to help assist with income in retirement, I'd like to see you paid off as quickly as you can as part of a broader asset accumulation strategy where you may be saving in your own name, you may be adding money to superannuation, so everything in moderation. If you're buying it just to punt on the capital value going up and you're not intending to hold it 
for the next five to ten years, then you may not pay the property off and just borrow the money on an interest-only basis and hope you can leverage a change in the market over time. So it's really directed to what's your underlying why and then making sure that if you do want to pay the thing off, you've done your numbers and you can take a portion of your surplus income in the current environment, factoring in an interest rate rise of maybe 1% to 2%, just so that you've got a little bit of fat in your cash flow so that things don't get tight if rates rise in the future, because it will happen. Um, it may not happen immediately, but rates can't stay where they are for the next 25 years. So factor these sorts of things into your decision-making. And if you are looking to pay it off, actively set up a direct debit out of your bank account, fill up an offset account so that you still have access to all of the money, but you can pull it out for repairs, maintenance, or any other unforeseen expense and keep control of your cash flow and your budget. Yeah. So what other factors should people consider when weighing up whether or not a property is a good investment? So I'd start with looking at the net numbers, not the gross numbers, as I touched on earlier. A lot of people get caught up in the, the, the sexiness of it's $800 a week of rent, it's $1,000 a week of rent without considering the net position. So when you're doing your numbers, look at the rates, look at the body corporate, look at the insurances, look at the agent fees and work on numbers on an after expenses basis because if you're going to pay that off and use that as a retirement asset, that's the real return that you'll be getting from a cash flow perspective, not the $500 a week because at the end of the year, you will have a tax liability, you will have body corporate fees, you will have agent fees depending on how you structure it and you need to be aware of those sorts of things. Consider the age of the property. You know, are you going into this to hold it over the longer term and you've bought a really old asset? Do you have the money to be able to maintain the upkeep or improve the property? So understand what the property will cost going forwards and what your budget entails. Get an agent if you need one. If you can do it yourself, great, you'll save a few bucks. But again, how involved do you want to be with the property? Sometimes the cost of your time and money is, is far more than the expense of having somebody do it for you professionally. Remember to uh, consider the stamp duty costs. A lot of people go to an auction and they chase the price, they chase the price and they win. They get all excited and then they find out that they've got an eighty to $200,000 stamp duty expense. So again, think about the property. If you're doing it in the ACT and you're planning on renting it, then you can claim the stamp duty as an income deduction and your accountant would explain these things to you prior to doing it. But if you're doing that interstate, the same deduction rules are not applied. So again, be aware of what you can take advantage of in relation to costs and expenses. If you are going to borrow, factor in the rate rise. You might be able to get the money today at 2.2. We'll do your numbers on 3.2 or 4 so that you know that a long-term asset would not be impacted adversely by a potential rate rise because money's the cheapest it's ever been. And if we think about that rate of increase, if it goes from 2.5% to 3.5%, that's more than a 30% jump. And a lot of people's wages aren't jumping that fast. So think about this and, and factor in a change in your cash flow because it, it could have a, a significant impact on the duration of your investment or how long you'd be able to hold that asset. Um, if you can fix interest rates at the moment, think about a fixed and variable option. You may not want to fix it all if you're planning on paying it down. So you might fix half and keep half variable. Um, a good mortgage broker will be able to explain the benefits and run the numbers for you so that, again, you can buy something and make an informed decision and control your cash flow and not have any surprises. Um, and the last one would be shop around the interest rates. You know, money's cheap, let's use it. 
Um, and again, I'm, I'm pro-offset account, so if you can save into the property and keep access to your capital, that's always fantastic as building in another buffer into the longer duration of your investment or using that equity to buy something else down the road, be it a house, be it a share, have control of your money and where it sits when you do buy a property. Indeed. Today we're talking about what to think about when you consider an investment property. So, Luke, what are the key points for people to consider? So if I was going to go out and buy something at the moment, I'll be looking at the ongoing growth and the rental income opportunities. One thing to keep in mind is if you're buying something at a significant increase in price, that can actually reduce the yield because the price going up and the income going down, they have an inverse relationship. So make sure you understand what the current market is offering and what you could probably generate from the property. Think about the use of the property. Are we buying it short term? Are we buying it long term? Are we buying a residential property? Are we buying a commercial property? Are we buying it in our own name? Are we buying it in a family trust? So think about the structure. Who's going to own it? And consider the deductions both now from an income perspective and also from a capital gains and a sales tax perspective at the end of the investment journey as well because sometimes that can really catch people unawares. So if you know what you're going to buy, think about who's going to own it and then work with your accountant to get the best tax efficiency over the life of the asset. Think about the agent fees. Think about your land tax, your rates and other carrying costs. Think in terms of net income. Don't think gross. Think net. How much has come in, how much has gone out, and this is the real income return from the property. Make sure you maximise your deductions. Make sure you take advantage of depreciation schedules and work with your accountant to maximise those opportunities. And then also think about how you're going to structure loans. Money's very cheap. You may be a bit of a worrier, so fixing a rate may be good for you. You may be able to throw caution to the wind and hope you can pay the property off in five years in a low interest rate environment. So understand your borrowing structures, understand your interest costs, and put one or 2% of fat in the interest rate so that if rates do rise in the future, you're not blowing up your cash flow for other investment opportunities like deductible super contributions and things of that nature. So as long as you go into it with your eyes wide open, um, it, it can limit the tears down the track. Yeah, and I think that most important part of what you've just said is that uh, point about the net figures rather than the gross ones because at the end of the day, it's going to be about cash flow and whether or not you're able to service the debt, isn't it? That's right, and, and, and very often we have clients come in and sit down and say, oh, I've got 10 places and they're all rented and now I'd like to retire. But when you look at the rent that comes in and you deduct that against the interest on the loans that are on the properties, less all of those other costs, the income that they will be able to live on is far less than what it looks like on paper. And I think that's where people get caught, not planning for that sort of thing leading into retirement. So paying off a place isn't a bad thing. I've never had anybody get upset about too much cash flow. So <laughs> it's not just about tax deductions. It's about why you're buying it and then how to manage and maximise opportunities leading into retirement. Absolutely. So, Luke, where can listeners get more information? Yep, so office number 62604749. We're still open. The girls are still working hard from home. So we're business as usual and we're extremely fortunate and lucky to be able to, to say that. Uh, envisionfinancial.com.au. We've got the Knowledge Centre on the website. People can subscribe to that for free. We've got the podcast, The Strategy Stack, The Luke Talks Money on iTunes and Spotify. And we can also offer a YouTube channel, Envision Financial Canberra, where you can subscribe to that and watch the show on your phone, pause it, take some notes, um, so you can do that one on the move or when you want to have a break from homeschooling the kids. Fantastic, Luke. We'll catch you again next Friday. Okay, see you next Friday. Thank you, Luke Smith at Envision Financial. And uh, Luke will be back again at the same time next Friday afternoon to talk money some more.